0: Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast.
1: All right, RJ, I hope you were able to get some sleep last night. I sure as heck wasn't, not after the Kraken landed. Shane Wright with the fourth overall pick. It was absolutely incredible and so, so happy that we were able to share the experience with everybody on that uh, live stream we were
0: doing for the first round. It was pretty awesome, eh, bud? Absolutely. I mean, how could you sleep, Dylan? Come on. The Kraken just got Shane Wright. And guess what? We both woke up this morning. It wasn't the morning of the first draft day. It was real. Uh, Shane Wright actually got drafted by the Kraken. It did happen. Uh, Yeah, what an exciting stream uh, and just great times ahead for the Kraken.
1: Yeah, we woke up this morning and it was uh, the draft on super speed day. (laughs)
0: i know all the gms going and deciding to speed run the draft this did not happen last year so fast first round took about four hours second round took 29 minutes
1: yeah it was awesome and i mean it, it still seemed fast like you and i have been to drafts and we've been there for day two and it goes a lot quicker than you know day one but like this still seemed really fast yes for sure um, all right. So this episode of the deep dive is just going to be a draft review, basically, where are just going to do a deep dive into the Krakens 2022 NHL draft. Um, I know during the live stream yesterday, we talked a little bit about, you know, oh, we were planning on doing like kind of that. And then also the free agency preview and, and kind of making like a super podcast. But the bottom line is the Shane Wright thing just kind of blew that up because now there's there's so much going on with the fact that we were able to land Shane right that we just have a lot more to discuss around the draft and around him specifically. So we're going to go ahead and split those up. The free agency preview will come out uh, sometime over the next couple days. And this one is just going to be a draft review. But before we get into it, RJ, because we always have some like dumb, cold open question,
0: oh here we go i gotta
1: i gotta ask you this and it's not related at all i apologize everybody but did you know that roger federer's name is 50 percent just the letters er in that order
0: do it do it doing the quick math in my head i guess that checks out he's got uh, i would not have thought that though it's,
1: t- it's 12 letters long is his first and last name combined there and and there is uh three sets of er in there so Six of the there you twelve. Go. There you go. Isn't isn't the world an amazing place? Everybody, we got that bit of knowledge and the fact that the Kraken were able to get Shane Wright and Jagger Furcus.
0: I know, right? Jagger Furcus. That's the name we were talking about as we were kind of closing the first day of mm-hmm. the draft stream at the end of the first round. Who do we all want in the second round? The Kraken had the third pick today, and I think most of us wanted Jagger Furcus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of I guess people. Guess what? Did. The Kraken got him.
1: Yeah, and you, I mean, we know a lot of people did. For crying out loud, we closed out that draft live stream. Uh, the great Maderos, having you do like a little, uh, you know, ceremony, basically, casting a spell to ensure that Jagger Furcus was the pick at 35, and uh, it, it sure worked.
0: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about having to doubt things into existence now. <laughs> uh of course, doubting the Colorado Avalanche the whole way through the playoffs and they win the cup. And then, of course, you know, just for that effect, I, I went and said that there's no way Jagger Furcus would be the Kraken's pick. And lo and behold,
1: it's the magic words of paper tiger, because that's really the consistent <laughs> thing you've got going on. Anything you call a paper tiger. So next up, can you call my uh, bank account a paper tiger, please? <laughs> that would be, that'd be cool. My prospects of winning the lottery. That would be that would be great. Um. All right. So, yeah, I mean, we'll get into all the all the day two stuff that they did today. But really, first and foremost, we have to talk about Shane Wright. That is by far and away the biggest uh, news out there and around right now uh, regarding this draft for the Kraken. I mean, let's just start on the fact that he even made it to them at four. And I know we were just kind of like as it was getting closer to that step by step, just getting more and more frantic. Um, but kind of having having slept on it a little bit, I, I still kind of see how that path got us there. Uh, but, but it all hinged on Montreal choosing Uri Slavkovsky over
0: him. It did. And I um, I asked you the question kind of before the draft started even, what number one pick do we want for the best way for it to shake out for the Kraken. And we were kind of unsure. It was hard to see all yeah. the dominoes falling the right way. But it worked out really well. Montreal, of course, taking Juraj uh, Slavkovsky, big surprise uh, to a lot of people. Uh, New Jersey then taking Shimon Nemitz. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest surprise to me. Of, of the three picks ahead of right, that one shocked me the most. And uh, the Devils, uh, uh, I believe the GM, Tom Fitzgerald, kind of talked about it a little bit more today how that Slavkovsky was their guy and since that didn't happen they didn't really have time to make a trade out of that spot ended up taking Nemitz at number two uh maybe you should have had a better backup plan than that but that's how it goes uh and then when it comes down to Cooley and Wright you know I I get the way Arizona's thinking but uh, it all just worked out perfectly it was a dream scenario for the Kraken
1: it it really was. The thing that confuses me the most about that New Jersey thing is, yeah, like, rule one of the draft. I talked about this on the Discord. Like, rule one is always have a, a solid contingency plan. And that works for a draft if you're in, you know, one of the major sports leagues. That works if you're doing a fantasy draft, right? Like, you should always have a contingency. If you know you're, like, next up or there's a couple picks, like, you get enough names in a particular order so that you know what you're doing when that time comes. Because, yes, you only have a few moments. To make up your mind or do something we could argue about whether or not you know the nhl should have a longer clock uh so that teams could facilitate trades more you know without having to do it kind of multiple picks in advance like we saw last night but at the same time it took freaking forever with three minutes between each pick so i'm not sure that's a good answer
0: do we want the first round to be any longer than four hours i don't think so and especially pick number two there's one moving part there's one moving part you're a pick two uh no excuses there
1: yeah no i i still don't get it but they they went out and they got the player that they that they most wanted again it makes sense uh, certainly, in the light of today, it makes a lot of sense. But we talked about it; it made sense yesterday too. You don't need Shane Wright if you're if you're New Jersey. You have um, enough centers already. There's nowhere to put him. What you're gonna stick him on your third line, and he's gonna be stuck there until he demands a trade in a couple of years because he's not getting any playing time. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's that's basically the scenario that that you were staring down the barrel of. So it makes sense for New Jersey to pass on it. And then, yes, based on everything we've learned, kind of Arizona in a similar-ish situation. In new jersey logan cooley was going to be their guy they just all along they wanted him Uh, it sounds like he was very happy to go there all the conversations between the logan cooley camp and the arizona coyotes it was just kind of like destined to be regardless of what happened so uh that's how you get shane Wright falling into the kraken's lap at pick four and ron francis i mean the league really giving us a little bit of a, a moment of fear there as Batman walks to the podium <laughs> to announce a couple trades. Uh we posted like a shortened like a reaction video just like the highlights of the whole process uh from that long live stream we did last night and and yeah it's just our faces when it's just like two trades like we have to somehow survive that. Like what are you talking about? No. And our comment section's just filled with no ron no but uh No, I I think Ron Francis, there was no way he was going to let Shane Wright get past him. There was no way he was going to trade that pick because uh, as we talked about so much, and I think what we're going to spend the most amount of time talking about here today is the fact that you now have as your pillars for the Seattle Kraken, Matty Beneers and Shane Wright down the
0: middle for, you know,
1: at least seven years, eight years.
0: And that's, Yes, and that's what it comes down to and I think everyone with the Kraken recognized that immediately. Uh, one of the first things that the director of amateur scouting Robert Cron said uh, when talking to the media after the draft was Christmas came early. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the quote from him. You could tell how excited everyone was to have that one two punch of centers for maybe the next decade or more. I mean, these are the building blocks that you need to have to get those truly special teams. You look at how Stanley Cup winners are built up the middle. It's with guys like Matty Beneers and Shane Wright, and the Kraken recognize that right away.
1: Yeah, uh, every team, you, you know, just look at all the top teams around this league, the ones that consistently perform uh, in the playoffs. One of the things that they have in common is that they have that depth down the middle. And I think what makes both of these players unique is that you know, it's not like, oh, one's a defensive specialist and the other's like an offensive specialist, the way some teams have it. No, these guys are both 200-foot players. They love to play defense. They love to, to go out and score goals. And you can trust them with all of those responsibilities. And that's going to be really, really important as the Kraken, uh, you know, build around them over the next uh, coming years and uh, and the kind of team that they want to be. Because I did notice some trends throughout this draft You could really see some, some, you know, Ron Francis kind of having a type of player he likes to choose. Um, But uh, I I think the big thing is Shane Wright talked about it through the whole kind of scouting process. You know, there's really doubts about everybody in this draft about if any of them were like true fire, top flight players, kind of feeling like no. Um, I said all along, I thought Shane Wright, in my mind, the best spot he could be in is as a second-line center, where he'll be arguably the best second-line center in the league. And now the Kraken are going to have the opportunity to make that happen, um, because I still think Maddie's offensive upside is, is greater than that of Shane Wright. But I just can't wait to see, uh, yeah, what the Kraken really do for the next like decade with them. Like, like there's just so many things to...
0: To dream of that are now possible to even consider. Right. And you you mentioned not being able to sleep last night. Your imagination can run wild with all the possibilities there. Uh, You talked about Wright being, you know, the best second line center in the league. He's in perfect position to be that. Uh, I think also having two guys that are really defensively solid, that's how you build one of those teams that's set up to succeed in the playoffs. We talked about this after the expansion draft of the kind of team that we were maybe hoping the Kraken would build, uh, one that although it might not work the best for the regular season is still going to be talented enough to get in the playoffs because half the teams make the playoffs, but it's going to be one of those teams that's built for success. Once you get there and with Maddie Beniers and Shane, Wright, That's the foundation that you're laying. We've seen how good these defensive centers uh, can be, and they kind of punch above their weight in the playoffs. We've seen uh, Philip Dano, uh, with Montreal last year is a good example. Ryan O'Reilly on that Blues Cup run. Mm-hmm. Those guys that maybe don't have the highest offensive upside, but man, they can just shut down an opposing line. When you have two of them, it is so difficult to match up with. And I know that's a ways away talking about, uh, you know, a playoff series at this point. Kraken still have a lot of work to do till they get to that point. When they get there, and I think at this point, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when looking at how they've drafted when they get there uh, with these two guys, it's gonna set them up for some success long term
1: for sure it it's just it's it's undeniable. and um it it still kind of blows my mind just just looking at you know how many places still had you know Shane Wright as the top prospect, right? i mean we can mm-hmm. we can talk here briefly about why he fell. i I talked. Last night, one of the things was, and, and they talked about it on the ESPN broadcast, like, you know, hey, this guy was, you know, projected to be this top pick for basically five years. Right. Like what happens? And the fact that whenever anybody is that highly touted for so long drafts are paying uh, scouts are paying attention to them for so long before a draft, you start to only look at the bad things because you've you're, you're so like over it with all the good things that that player can do just because you've watched him for years so you're you're only ever at that point noticing all of the faults and you can sour on somebody even though you really shouldn't um that's just a thing that happens in scouting it happens in all sports uh there are plenty of stories of this exact scenario happening in all sports where you know the perceived like golden child just doesn't quite get taken first because they've been there so long. Someone new and fresh comes onto the scene, enamors whatever team has that top pick, and then, you know, it turns out that, oh no, that, that other guy was really the best guy all along, and those teams at the top of the draft just kind of messed it up. Obviously, uh since Seattle are going to be hoping that that is the case. Uh, <laughs> that's, And I don't really see a reason why it can't be. Um, the other thing being that, you know, maybe it was it you know I, I can't even say from like a financial standpoint it's a mistake because elc contracts are going to all roughly be the same for all these guys taking up you know the top 5 but the the decision that he made to this year coming out of the covid years and everything to just focus on really working on his defense working on his two-way game modeling his game after Patrice Bergeron working on those things Maybe that's ultimately also what hurt him. The fact that, oh, his counting stats weren't like, wow, jump off the page at you the way like Slavkovsky's were, you know, when he was playing in international tournaments or something. And and I wonder if that was just something that, again, teams just kind of soured on and they were just like, oh, you know, well, maybe we maybe maybe there's something you know at fault or at an issue there the fact that he's basically not scoring as much as he was you know back when he was like 16.
0: (laughs) you know what i mean yeah Yeah, and i think it's a it's a trap that teams can kind of fall into no matter what the sport really and i think it's something that that goes across different sports where offense is flashy and and it wins you games but defense wins championships and sometimes the less flashy player is going to give you more playoff success long term i think that could be the case here and i want to ask you dylan too does it increase that uh where a player gets his game just kind of picked through uh, like Shane Wright does when they're number one when a player like him is granted exceptional status I feel like that might even make more teams take for granted that ability level as just okay yes we know he's skilled He got exceptional status let's look at what's wrong does that does that make it even more of a factor
1: I uh, yeah it has to just having that additional media attention the fact that that is what labels you you know. Three, four years out from your actual NHL draft class as being labeled the top guy, just because, you know, we saw the successes of Tavares and obviously McDavid, right? Um, just the fact that there is that kind of stigma attached to it, even though now, We've got a pretty large sample size of these exceptional player status players now. And you know what? Most of them are not turning into NHL stars. In fact, the line kind of just stops with Tavares and McDavid from like a superstar level at the NHL level, many of which aren't even really in the NHL. Like, Like they've had their time to go through and they just haven't. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if it's something that continues to happen moving forward. Um, I still think that Shane Wright, if he doesn't lose those seasons to that really last year to COVID, I think that was... A, a big factor um, losing out on some of the uh, international tournaments that he didn't participate in this go around during his draft year. I think that also impacted things, obviously having the U uh, 20, you know, world junior championship canceled that hurt all the prospects, I think, because that's always one of the times you get to see them all against each other and really get a gauge on everybody, but also just, you know, not really participating in the U 18s this year and stuff like all of that, I think, kind of just contributed to people feeling like, hey, I, I don't have this super special feeling anymore with him. And that mm-hmm. makes me worry. And, and if there is one thing that, you know, <laughs> NHL GMs will go off of, it is gut feels like that sometimes. And so just kind of having a bad taste in your mouth about some of those things could all lead up to you, you know, letting, letting a guy like Shane Wright fall to four.
0: Yeah, and it certainly could. And I mean, we, we've just seen gut feel, especially at the top of the draft. Uh, it plays a big role. Exactly. So the fact that he wasn't
1: out there dropping nine goals in five games, 14 points in the five <laughs> games at the U18s like he did, you know, just a year prior. Like like he was he was considered, you know, the, the guy just a year ago. So it is still kind of crazy to me uh, how far he fell just because, like I said, seemingly he wanted to be a well-rounded player heaven forbid rj somebody wants to be <laughs> responsible defensively
0: we better punish them by making them fall in the draft yeah what what a way to be rewarded for for playing like that but uh, i think he'll you get the long-term rewards yeah. uh, when you do that
1: yeah, you hear that everybody don't put in the hard work until you get to the NHL. That's the lesson I guess. that you can take away <laughs> from all this. Uh that being said, I think this is the perfect marriage of team and player. Uh like I said, I thought Shane Wright makes sense as a second line center, gets an opportunity to do that in Seattle. I you know, I was hesitant about his ability to live up to first line billing status, you know, first overall pick in Montreal. I, I I'm not sure that it would have worked out that way. I'm not, I don't think that he could have been the center to take them to the promised land. Uh, so in, in some sense, he might have dodged a bullet there. Uh, I know he probably is, you know, thinking of all the money and endorsements he lost by not going to that gigantic Canadian market and uh, some of those other opportunities. I'm sure that's weighing on him right now. But I, I think in the long run, it might be the best thing for him that he didn't end up there and that he didn't end up buried on a depth chart in uh, New Jersey and that he didn't end up playing
0: in a college arena in the desert either. Yeah, looking at the four potential locations there, I think Seattle's probably the best fit for him uh, on the ice and off the ice, Uh, you know, on the ice, looking at the depth chart, we could talk about this a little more on the free agency preview, but he just Mm -hmm. fits in perfectly and and fills a need if he does stay for this season and off the ice too. I think, I mean, are we going to talk about the death stare? yeah <laughs> that's a reported death stare yeah uh that, that he you know reportedly gave the uh the habs table i i think i saw from shang peng that maybe it, it wasn't exactly that it was something that was misconstrued um which come on shang why, why do you have to ruin it but uh but definitely you know he's got a chip on his shoulder coming in after being passed on by three teams and i think when it comes to the fans too in seattle that's one of the first things i thought of uh knowing how the fans kind of have this special way of embracing the players making them feel wanted that we witnessed quite a bit last season you know with guys even like daniel sprong where he was just a guy the other team wanted to give us and everyone kind of rallies around him will borgen not even playing the first 20 games the whole hashtag free will borgen thing uh kraken fans just have this way of embracing players and for someone like Wright, who maybe feels a bit slighted, a bit unwanted uh, coming off the draft. I think it's a perfect fit and there's going to be a great connection once he gets here and, and sees just how much that he's loved in Seattle.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, we've heard it from literally everybody who's who's gone and played a game at Climate Pledge, just how loud that arena is, how passionate the fans are, the amount of support that they feel, you know what I mean? That makes its way down to you on the ice and, and just through the community and everything, um, almost every single player has talked about it. Uh, and so it's, and I, and I, Believe that they're all genuine with it. Like I don't think that's just like a team talking point kind of thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I think that that is something that they really feel. Just because it's in some respects, you and I have felt it in the sport that you know we've had growing this, um, and and that we've been a part of in some of that stuff. You talk about the hashtag Free Will Borgen thing. I mean that was <laughs> that was kind of born in our post game lives talking about why yep. isn't this guy in there? Right? Like, so uh, we've seen firsthand what it can do and and how passionate all these. Fans are, and, and that's why I know those players are sincere when they talk about it. And and don't get me wrong, those players are going to tell that. You know, what I mean, like they're going to communicate that to Shane Wright when he gets in there. Maddie Beneers is going to talk about how amazing it was to play those first couple games at Climate Pledge to Shane Wright and how lucky he is to be here. And how it might not feel that you know very lucky now. We we also got reported that when he started draw, dropping in the in the draft, Wayne Gretzky was watching. And, mm-hmm. and got his number and gave him a call before he was picked by the Kraken uh, just to, you know, tell him that, hey, this isn't the worst thing in the world, potentially, all that kind of stuff. Keep your head up, all that kind of thing. So um, I, I think, you know, like I said, it's it's got to be a tough pill to swallow right now, especially having, like I said, years of lead up of that being the expectation. I, I understand that that has to be disappointing. I would not blame him in the slightest for saying that it's disappointing as he kind of has been. But I think once he gets out here for development camp, once he gets to training camp with the Kraken, all that kind of stuff, I I think those feelings will go away and they're going to be replaced with a desire to win in a Kraken sweater. And that's, you know, all we can hope for.
0: Yeah. And hey, when you're out on the ice playing games, especially against teams that may have passed up on you, uh, it might provide that extra little bit of motivation.
1: Exactly. So real quick, RJ, I know we'll we'll obviously go into it more when we do the free agency preview, but kind of, you know, it it all kind of goes around this main question of, do we think Shane Wright's going to play for the Kraken this season? Right. Last year. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, it was a lot easier with that draft class of just basically saying, hey, look, nobody's going to be playing this year. Everybody's coming off of a missed season or at least a shortened season because of COVID. It made a lot of sense. We knew. I mean, Matty Bener straight out came, you know, said it. He was like, "Hey, I gotta go work on my offense. I'm going back to Michigan. Like, don't expect me." And you know what I mean, kind of thing. Um, but when leading into this this draft, I said Shane Wright was kind of the only guy I could see playing in the NHL this season. I thought might have a chance just because of how responsible he is uh, playing both ways and and his overall skill set his size he's strong he's physically strong enough to play in the NHL right now so do we think that Shane Wright is going to be a member of
0: the Kraken come opening night it is so hard to say this early he's going to have every opportunity to earn that spot in training camp and that was one of the first things Ron Francis said uh, when asked that question of where is he going to be next year Uh, (laughs) he said he'll have every opportunity to do it uh he said one thing I thought that might have been a little telling, and again, we could talk about this more in the free agent episode uh, when he was asked about, does this change things up for you, as far as your outlook of for, toward free agency? And he said, well, maybe it tweaks it a little bit, but then quickly uh, went ahead and correct, not correct, but, you know, temper the expectation. Well, we don't know if he's going to be here. You know, we don't know how it's going to work, but I think he, he may have uh, let it slip there in the beginning that he, maybe he envisioned Shane Wright being on the NHL roster next season. And I think, there's probably a better chance that he is than he isn't. I could easily see both possibilities, but I'd probably give it, you know, sixty-five, thirty-five that he's on the Kraken roster, just from from what I'm thinking right now. I I got
1: to think at the very least they're gonna do the nine-game, you know, trial run oh, yeah. without burning the the year like that. Yeah, so uh, I think we're gonna see him opening nights. Uh, kind of regardless just because they're going to give him the nine games and then they might just honestly wait and see how things are going there not just with him but also with the team as a whole like let's say they they go two and seven in those nine games they might just be like hey you know what we do not want you here for this if we're going to be firing the coach in a couple days (laughs) and stuff like we're just going to send you back to Kingston you can go dominate the OHL take out all your frustrations on those poor children (laughs) and uh (laughs) And uh, you could come back at the end of the year kind of thing. Um, I, I, I think that's certainly a possibility uh, if, if things happen. But it's also possible that, you know, I, unlike other prospects, I don't think he'd have to come in and score a bunch of points to, to stay around. Like, I think no. if he's just if he's, you know, centering the third line kind of where we were both talking of having him start with the Kraken. Uh, If he's just centering the third line and you know what, they're getting the job done and they're hard to play against and and they're keeping the the Kraken in games, but they're maybe not producing right away because he's, you know, experiencing his first NHL action. I think that would be enough for them to want to keep him around for the full season and uh, and see how things go.
0: But uh, yeah, I mean, it is a long way away. It's just I, I want it to be now. I know, right? Uh, Thankfully, it's only a few days until dev camp. But uh, yeah, uh, training camp is going to be very exciting.
1: Yep. And then last thing on him, I will reiterate, at least give him a third line spot. If you're going to stick him on the fourth line, if he's going to be seeing less than 12-ish minutes a night, there's no point in having him on the Kraken's roster. All you will do is stunt his growth. Playing time is of the utmost importance for every player in the draft. Um, Just for their development, they need to be able to have the reps, the in-game reps to work on the things you want them to work on. So if he's not going to be getting that with the Kraken, I would rather him go back to Kingston, get all the minutes in the world there to work on what the Kraken want him to work on rather than just kind of be around as like, a, you know, let's especially if they don't do much in free agency as just like, a, well, hey, look, we got him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want the team to just kind of use him like that, but not really use him on the ice. And it, uh, kind of stunts his growth a little bit. So, uh, if he's not gonna get 12 minutes should go back to junior. That's, that's my thing. I, I have a feeling the Kraken are smart enough to know that lesson as well, but I, I just want to throw that out there one more time. 100%. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff about him potentially being around long-term. I think this puts pushes really the time for the Kraken to be aggressive to next off season. Um, But again, we'll talk about that in the free agency preview next week, or not next week, but next episode. But in those discussions for that, RJ, as far as like looking to years ahead, we're going to be talking about a lot of these other names because the Kraken held on to all four second round picks. I know going into the draft, there was questions about that. And certainly last night as some pretty big name players were falling in the, in the draft, there was a lot of, you know, hey, should the Kraken be, like, moving up here? Should they be doing that? Um, they decided to stand pat, and you know what? I think it worked out okay for them. Um, they got really good talent fall to them, even into the third round. We'll get to Ty Nelson in a little bit. I really want to talk mm-hmm. about him. But I think the first and foremost thing we got to talk about is the fact that, yes, they got Jagger Ferkus, like we talked about before. He is absolutely a legit first-round NHL talent who I think the only reason he fell was because he weighed in
0: 151 at the NHL <laughs> combine, right? I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. Yes, that's the only knock on Jagger Furcus. The, the numbers are there, the scoring's there, the talent's there. Everything you could want when watching this guy play hockey tells you that he is a first-round prospect. You had him mocked in the first round. Just about every prospect rankings I saw uh, had him you know, with a first-round grade. Uh, he fell to the second round, size concerns we've seen this so many times yeah. now so many times and especially in a draft uh where alex to was just traded for a seventh overall pick you know someone who's a real success yeah. story of a smaller player uh who ended up being a second round pick and of course very much exceeded uh that second round uh that second round grade but yeah jagger Furcus falls to the crack and seattle benefits uh and i'm i'm just so thrilled with the pick
1: yeah um I I'm just so excited to have him I know everybody's enamored with like the the personality the look especially the meme potential the meme potential is off the charts with this guy uh I'm most excited because and we talked about this on the draft preview podcast I look at him and I go wow that's that could be the next Corey Perry and uh as somebody who grew up watching a lot of Ducks games or watching Corey Perry um i know how much f- more fun it is to have that guy on your team than to have to be playing against him and so i i just like that attitude that he has that willingness to go to the net even you know despite his smaller frame uh the fact that he's you know at a weight disadvantage with just about everybody right um mm-hmm. but his his willingness to go to the net his willingness and ability to get lost behind defenses and always kind of be open, be there for those backdoor passes and stuff. And um, the interesting like ways he goes about attacking the net, he's very aggressive at attacking the net, getting shooting angles, but they're not necessarily traditional shooting angles. And that really, you know, at least at, at the major junior level, throws other teams off a lot. But I think that that plays in the NHL as well, as these guys are so... You know, trained and honed in to expect one thing when you kind of throw them a curveball by taking a shot from an angle and a place that they don't really expect it. we, We see the players that do do those kinds of things have a lot of success.
0: Right. And shorter players too, smaller players who Mm -hmm. can get to kind of different areas of the ice that you wouldn't normally expect them. If you have that shooting talent and you can kind of vary the release point uh, Mm -hmm. of your different shots, it's always going to be hard for goalies to track, especially as goaltending gets more. You know, it's it's butterfly. It's regimented. They're looking for certain things and it's a percentages game. If you can throw them off with something like that, it's going to work consistently nowadays. Exactly.
1: And the other thing that he has that a lot of the smaller players that are successful, like an Alex to has is their ability to shoot while moving while skating, like they do not need to get set up, they do not need to rely on some one time slap shot from a face off circle on a power play. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they don't they don't need that kind of stuff. They have, you know, they're able to get 100% of their release from different angles, all while moving at full speed. And that is a very important thing to do because that is that is something that, yes, as a goaltender drops because they see you're shooting and they drop into a butterfly, the ability of to do that while moving at full speed kind of can throw their angle off uh, just because you're moving, right? And so uh, yep. it, I, I'm very excited by his potential. I think it's going to be a little while before we see him in a Kraken sweater, realistically. Uh, size, obviously, <laughs> is the first reason why I would say that. Um, but I also feel like, This is the kind of player that with his skill set and stuff, kind of similar to Corey Perry, it was a little bit longer of a development process. Uh, He worked, you know, he played some in the AHL, then it was bottom six role at the NHL until you really learn the intricacies of how NHL defenses work and how best to exploit them. Um, but once a guy like Corey Perry or, or some of these other players have done that, then they're then they're really successful, and I I see that for for Jagger Furcus too. It just means instead of you know maybe the one to two year time frame that you'd be hoping for for a first round talent, it might be more of a two to three year timetable for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just want to throw that one out there too. But like I said. There is success in his future and uh, it should be coming for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, and that's very, very exciting. Anything else you want to talk about with Furcus?
0: Um, yeah, not really. I guess one question I have just because some people I'm sure are wondering this. Corey Perry's is 6'3", 206. Yeah. Can Jagger Ferkus really do that with his size?
1: Yeah, I think so. I look, is he gonna be able to be the pest in front of the net that Corey Perry is? Probably not. But when I say this stuff about Corey Perry, I'm thinking of younger Corey Perry. Not so much like mm-hmm. Corey Perry who's now back to being uh, you know, a bottom six player bottom six grinder, yeah. Right. Yeah. I am thinking more Corey Perry, you know, oh seven when the ducks are winning the Stanley Cup and, and the years later after that when he was in his prime, when he won a heart trophy. If you can remember that he forget? did that. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he really won because the Sedins poached votes from each other, but that's a different story. Uh, but he was he was very much the kind of guy, and, and this this applies to his time in London with the Knights too, before he was drafted. His whole thing was defenses could just never keep track of where he was, so he was just open, and a guy like Ryan Getzloff would just find him. Very much like I could totally see Matty Beniers kind of play similar to Getzloff in the sense that he likes to skate the puck around. He'll see something. He'll move to a different place to draw the defense away, and then he'll make it happen. And and uh, that's that's what you know Getzloff would do. And Perry would always be the guy that was open f- for that shot. And it was always you know around the net or from interesting angles, lots of sharp angles. I remember Corey Perry taking shots from kind of similar to Jagger Furcus. And so it's yes, it's not the Corey Perry that if you're newer to the NHL you're thinking of now. It's more Corey Perry back in his prime when he was scoring you know thirty five, forty, fifty goals a year um, just because he was this guy that couldn't really skate but defenses could just not keep track of where he was so he was just kind of always open behind them or or they were thinking nobody's going to take a shot from over there and so they just let him have it and you know what when you let him have it he was going to score from there so
0: okay I could see that you've convinced me
1: yeah so, you know, does it take maybe some of the longevity out of it? No, I probably don't see Jagger Furcus playing into his late 30s by being a grinder the way Corey Perry is. It's probably not realistic. But uh, if you get all those prime, you know, style years out of him, I, I think this is, you know, an excellent pick in the second round. For sure. All right. So next up, pick 49, the Kraken took, uh, is it uh, Yanni Nyman? Neiman? I think it's Neiman. Neiman. Yeah. I think it's Neiman. Yanni Neiman. Yanni Neiman. So this one was a little bit of a surprise. Um kind of the first of these really these next two picks kind of being off the board a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh a lot of places that I saw had Neiman rated lower, more like closer to being a third round pick than, you know, kind of here in the second round. Um but one thing kind of stands out, and this is where we we start building this profile of a prototypical Ron Francis player here. Uh, that we saw from most forwards take it this year, which is, hey, this is, you know, in this case, in Neiman's case, a big guy, but certainly a guy who wants to play a responsible game, wants to play a 200-foot game, is not going to be afraid to go to the corners, dig it out, get the, you know, get the puck moving, get the cycle going in the offensive zone, and um, is not going to be afraid to back check either, and wants to kind of live in that, you know, kind of transition game of, on offense, you know, we'll, we'll just get things going. We'll grind it out defensively and then get things moving up the ice. And that's obviously something that the Kraken wanted to do last year, kind of struggled. You could argue about whether or not they had the right personnel to be playing that way uh, all the time or if injuries played a part in that. But uh, that that certainly seems to be what they're trying to do here. And I think uh, Neiman is the, like, the obvious sign that that's what they're going for.
0: Right. And it is part of the theme with this draft class, like you were saying, trying to fit the way that we all thought they were going to play the way that, that they, you know, were kind of wanting to play, but maybe didn't have the personnel to do that. Uh, and the size, of course, got to mention the size 6'4", 217. He's already, uh, you know, fairly filled out with that frame as well. Um it's it's definitely something that uh, GMs would covet, that, that maybe yeah. they would even overdraft by a round. Uh, so I understand taking him there, thinking that maybe he doesn't make it into the third round, even though he has a third round grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of what his NHL timeline is like with that frame.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, because he has the size and everything, obviously he's not going to make the NHL jump this year. But I could see him you know, being here sooner rather than later, again, in a bottom six capacity. And then you kind of see where he goes from there. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, you know, questions about what his offensive upside can ultimately be. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, I think the one thing there. And I think that's why most teams had him lower uh, or, you know, most um, prospect ranking things had him lower than where the Kraken ultimately drafted him. That being said, you look at like last year at the uh, Holinka Gretzky cup, which is kind of like one of those top prospect tournaments that they have kind of before everybody starts their final, you know, draft year run. And in the five games there, he had seven points, three goals. That's a, that's a pretty good showing for that tournament. So there is obviously some offensive capability there this year, you know, now that he's going to be over 18, he's going to get a lot more leeway in playing in Liga. Uh, that's just one of those things of the teenagers, you know, yes, it's cool that he got there and was able to play 10 games. I guarantee you he was seeing like five, six minutes a night though. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And let's not forget, he's only 17 right now. Yeah. I mean, he's a late July birthday, which I also do like that. I mean, it's one of those things that the analytics people have kind of pointed out that there is, um... This market inefficiency where teams tend to overdraft early birthdays, January, February, Mm -hmm. March, uh, and you have the most success by pick for these June, July, August birthdays. Uh, So I do like seeing that. He's one of the younger players in this draft.
1: Yeah, so um, as he he progresses, as he's able to, like I said, how important it is to have that development time, as he's going to get more playing time playing in Liga, that's going to be huge for him, and it'll also give us a better idea of, of like i said kind of that offensive upside that is a little cloudy right now um but otherwise like i said earlier seems like a really solid guy i like the fact that he's yes he has the big frame he's already kind of filled out the fact that he's 6'3 216 already you know what i mean like we saw a lot of guys drafted that are you know (laughs) a lot you know maybe even taller than that weigh a lot less i like the fact that he's already playing at that weight at that size he's used to used to being that big, used, he's comfortable with it, and uh, got to love anybody willing to back check. I mean, I could see him turning into a Jesse Pogliarvi kind of guy, where it's, you know, maybe, yes, mm-hmm. the counting stats aren't there, but the the analytics and everything are there because he's going to be responsible, and he enjoys being a 200-foot player.
0: Yeah, no, that would be a good kind of target uh, for if he, if he does hit his potential.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, the next pick, also from Finland, was easily their most like off the wall kind of who what yes this is happening (laughs) okay all right well I guess we just gotta trust you and that's uh taking the Finnish goaltender Nicholas is it Coco I think it's Coco that's that's kind of how they were pronouncing it on the draft thing so Nicholas Coco you know we talked about all the draft preview kind of the two top ranked goaltenders uh he was not one of them And uh, looking at things, I mean, NHL Central Scouting, which, you know, I've doubted the, you know, kind of their rankings forever, my entire life. But uh, there is something to be said when they had him as
0: the ninth ranked European goaltender. Right. Ninth European goaltender. So way down on the list there. Um, It's it's an interesting pick. I I wonder if they were worried that some other team might take him because you look at the Kraken had two picks in the next in the next 10. Yeah, that spot. So maybe they had some intel that some team very close to them was about to take him. I don't know. Uh, But it was a bit of a head scratcher to me, even if you do like the prospect uh, to take him at that spot, uh, given that you have picks right after it. I will say if you are going to take a giant reach on a player, I would rather it be a goalie because goaltending is just so weird. And the way it works out, they might know something other other teams don't. You have limited sample sizes. We've talked about this. Goaltending is just so hard to predict. Maybe just go with your gut on this one.
1: Yeah, I mean they were telling some story. I didn't totally get all of it. The Pecorine one? Yeah, the Pecorine story during the draft broadcast
0: about... And I think it was about Peccarine being a backup yeah. on whatever Finnish team he was on and that someone went to go scout the starter and the starter couldn't play that night. And so they saw Peccarina play and they were impressed. And so that caused the Preds to draft him. I think that's what the story yeah, was. The story so was that made yeah. It was a workout. That, it wasn't even a game. Oh, okay. No, it was literally a workout. I think
1: they were there to work out somebody else and Rene was just the, the goaltender that they had for the workout. And they liked him, huh. and that's what caused them to draft. It was literally just a workout.
0: Interesting. So I wonder how that connects to Coco. We should go back and and try and look at that story in the draft. But I I don't I don't get it. But maybe yeah, maybe he's a backup somewhere. Maybe he. Um... I don't know. Well, but, he, but the Kraken definitely feel like they know something here.
1: Yeah, I mean, he wasn't the backup certainly at least not for the U20 team he had. He was yeah. playing on. He was definitely the starter there. Uh or at least it seems like it based on the, the the amount of games and stuff that he was playing. So I think that was more just of a, you know, hey, don't don't question it when people pull goaltending picks kind of seemingly from nowhere kind of story and it, yeah, you know He's a Finnish goaltender. I I will believe in just the fact that he's a Finnish goaltender. Like that's a big deal. Yep. And the organization <laughs> that he's that he is coming up through is definitely a goaltending factory. Like there. Oh yeah,
0: Carpot absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there is there is that going for him. Um. It's just you know you look at that pick and you look at some of the picks kind of shortly thereafter. Gleb Trekozov, You know, two picks yep. later. Lane Hudson. Four picks later. Cora a couple picks after that Callie Odelius going at 65 overall like you know what I mean like you know could and, you and that, have that, that, did,
0: that did I know and I, and I kept thinking that 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 did bug me a little bit and I think it's one of those things looking back at this draft class as much as I like the the class overall I don't want to mm-hmm. you know seem like I'm down on the whole class but looking at some of the picks the picks that were made directly after, I think it's one of those looking back, we might be like, oh yeah, the guy who was picked uh, next turned out to be really good. Um, I like Neiman, that pick we just went over, but right after that was Christian Cairo. Uh, that's one that, that we liked. Um, yep. And right after, you know, Goyette, they picked at 61, Lane Hudson goes. Yep. Um, There's one more that I, that I think I recognize like, oh yeah, that's one of the guys that was right after. But um, yeah, it's uh, one of those things that'll be interesting to look back on.
1: Yeah. So, you know I, I think it's one of those look if they really believe in them that's that's kind of all that matters you know i said it during the draft preview i said it last night um i wanted them to take a goaltender in the second round i wanted them to use one of those second round picks on a goaltender uh just because i felt like it's you know it's worth it for the organization to have have you know more goaltenders in the system i think that's going to be the hardest thing to build up long term as they're kind of starting from scratch with their prospect pool i think having a, a group of young netminders just because, as you kind of said, the randomness that is kind of inherently there. Uh, you, they're the ones you need the most dart throws on in a lot of ways. Uh, so I wanted them to to kind of take one high, and I wanted them, you know, I said during the draft preview, like, I wouldn't mind if they were the, going to be the first team to take one. Go out and get your guy. This was definitely an example of Ron Francis going out and getting his guy uh, it's just going to, you know, long-term, we're just going to know if it paid out, if it was the right call to make, and if it was the right call to make there. That's what yeah. no,
0: really I no I think one thing that also happened, and we've seen this, Dylan and I, you, you know we like fantasy football. You know we've done plenty mm-hmm. of drafts like that, and we have both been on the wrong end of t- yep. trying to get ahead of a run on a position yep. that just never materialized. Yep. And I think that might be what happened here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linanen went to the Buffalo Sabres at 41. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, okay, the goalies are going to start coming. You you take Coco here at 58 and think, okay, we got our guy. And then if you look at the draft board, the next goalie didn't go off the board until round four. Yeah.
1: It was like a long and time. And that was
0: Tyler Brennan. Yeah. So it was a long time. It was almost 50 picks before another goalie went. So I'm sure... It's easy to look and say, okay, run on goalies is starting here. Let's get ahead of it. Mm -hmm. And then when it never happens, you always kind of look silly afterwards. But it's just so hard to time, right?
1: It it is. uh, Because especially, yeah, I mean, you look at it. He's taken at 58. You have 61 and 68. So, like, Mm -hmm. that also tells me that they had really zeroed in just on Coco. Like they yes. were not, they were not going to be like, well, cause otherwise you'd say, well, let's push it to 61. If still no is going, let's push it to 68. And then if someone else takes a goaltender, we'll go grab one. This tells me, no, they, they were determined not to miss out on him specifically because if the, if the run was to go and he happened to go, they were going to lose out on him. And I wonder if, you know, I, I wonder if, if he was their top guy, if, uh the goaltender that Buffalo took earlier was really their top guy, and they just wanted they wanted one of those more, you know, built around angles, built around anticipating what shooters are gonna do, finish style goaltenders with a big body uh, over someone like uh Brennan, who, as we talked about in the draft preview, a little more all over the place, a little more reactionary. Uh mm-hmm. it, it tells me that you no, know, they zeroed in on him and this particular style of play. So like I said, it's you know. You can't fault GMs when they go out and make a make a move like that because they are they are trusting in their process and at the end of the day, as fans, all we can do is trust in that process too. It's not like we have control, um, but it it's certainly going to be an interesting one and that that could be one where, you know, of all the picks in this draft, that would be the one that we would go back to and go,
0: eh. yeah. And you know what? Maybe the Kraken, looking at how it turned out, might even agree with that, even though they would never say it. Well, yeah
1: no they, they would never <laughs> um but just a couple picks later at pick 61 the kraken select david goyette uh forward playing for the sudbury wolves franchise in the ohl i pretty regularly forget exists um i can't remember like a time in my lifetime following hockey that 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 like they've been a top team
0: yeah i can't think of anything they've had some they've some had top some end runs across. Yeah, they've had some runs, but, and they, and they're so, you know, close to Toronto. I think, you know, I I know so many of the Toronto people always bring them up. Um, that's, and I'm sure I'd hear about them even less if that wasn't the case. Yeah. But, uh, Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's the pick David Goyette. Well,
1: yes, I bring it up only because he played significant time for them this year and put up some really good numbers in the OHL. Yeah, uh, 33 goals in 66 games, 73 points in those 66 games with Sudbury. And and I just want to point out that you know that is impressive in and of itself just for a draft eligible player in the OHL. Like that's those are pretty good numbers. But what makes it more impressive is that yes, yeah, Sudbury was a bad team, like a really bad team. All but four teams make the playoffs in the OHL and they were one of those four teams to not make the playoffs. So the fact that this kid was able to put up those level of numbers on such a bad team, I think is worth noting.
0: Agreed. And you look at the rest of the team too. Sometimes with these guys, you'll see they'll have pretty inflated scoring numbers. They look very high, very impressive. You'll go look at the team scoring page and they're like fourth on the team or something. And you can kind of tell the other guys are driving the offense. I mean, Goyette led the Wolves in scoring by 23 points. He had 73 points. The next guy had 50. Uh, So got to think he's, he's behind a lot of that offense. And certainly, you know, at this stage in the second round, that's a good bet to take. I think we've looked at research that kind of shows that even if you were to just kind of blindly select some of the, you know, the top scorer in the Canadian hockey league, that's available at that juncture, you're going to do pretty well. This seems to fall in line with one of those types of picks.
1: Exactly. Um, Yeah, no, he he looks really good. And and what makes it even more impressive is that was his first season in the OHL. Like this was a player who missed out last year because of COVID, wasn't able to play. Uh, And so just walking into the OHL as a rookie to put up numbers like that is is very, very impressive given the environment and team he was playing around. Uh, Equally did well at the U18s, putting up three points in four games there. Uh, so, A, like, got to like the fact that he was able to make that Canada U18 team because there's a lot of competition for spots mm-hmm. there. So anytime you're grabbing somebody off of that team at the end of the second round, that is, again, something worth noting because that's, that's a good thing. And, um, and he was able to be successful there. That, that's also good. Uh, one of the things that I, I noticed looking at him watching tape after the Kraken drafted him was that he really likes to play to the outside. Like, it's, it's kind of interesting to see a center want to live on the outside like the way he does. Uh, and it makes me think this guy might be transitioning to winger for the Kraken, you know, in the future.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Given how the Kraken are, are set at center, that's probably not the worst thing in the world.
1: No, no, I think that might end up being the case for a lot of prospects that the that the Kraken take. Um, but otherwise, he's a he's a good player. Um, he likes to likes to pass the puck a lot. He's got good vision. Um, he's got good patience with the puck, which I think is always very important for prospects to have. That's one of the things that I kind of clue in and say, all right, there's there's a lot of stuff to work with with that guy. When they have good patience with the puck uh, and they want to make sure that the right play develops, they're not just looking to, to take the first thing that they see. Uh, they want to make sure that they take the high value play, and I think that's probably what he did uh, on that kind of you know more worse off Wolves team that resulted in him having so many points. So if if he's able to keep that and translate that to the NHL game, then the Kraken will have an NHL player on their hands. And as we start getting at, you know, towards the end of the second round here into the third round and stuff, that's what you're hoping for at the end of the day. You're not looking for your top six forwards necessarily in these picks. Uh, you're just looking to make sure that you get an NHL player out of them. That's, that's ultimately the end goal you're, you're hoping for. And I think he's definitely got the, the skill set and the hockey IQ to make that happen. Uh, so I, I'm very excited to watch his development. All right, so from uh, that pick over to oh my gosh, my page got all messed up because I was going into the Sudbury Wolves. All right, it's it's the uh, the first Ty, pick of the third yeah, round. Yeah, sixty-eight overall, Ty Nelson. So, I mean, first off, the moment we saw we this start? guy, I know the moment we saw this guy, <laughs> you just knew this is going to be a great pick.
0: Yes, oh my gosh, the the blue fedora, the the whole outfit, everything, just perfect. Uh, the the swagger about this guy I love it
1: yeah and for me I love the player this is a you know offensively minded defenseman again similar to Goyette this was his first season uh, playing in the OHL Um, he was the first overall pick in the OHL draft the previous season but had to sit out the year because of the because COVID wiping it out so walks into the OHL as a rookie puts up 51 points in 66 games as a defenseman and uh, you know Perhaps most important to some people, like you, RJ, he is right-handed. So let's get that out of the way for everybody. <laughs> he checks that box. It's super important, and I am going to bring this up when we do our free agency preview. Believe me, um, okay. we're go- that's when we're really going to have that discussion. But uh, he's right-handed. The it seems like the really the only thing that pushed him lower in the draft because I saw some like scouting things that were like, hey, this guy could be a you know if he was bigger, he would be a first round pick. And, and it seems like, yes, the only thing that pushed him down is the fact that he's 5'10". But he's 5'10". That's not like Lane Hudson's small. And he's 200 pounds. Like, it's not like he's a little guy. I, I don't know. This is where I just think teams get too obsessed with some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, especially the height. And I, I could see teams just seeing 5'10", and just kind of being, OK, we don't want any of that. We're scared away. But you look at 196, so it's like 200 pounds. And from what it sounds like, and watching some of the tape... He's a pretty big hitter, too. He's mm-hmm. not afraid to throw a check. He's got good size, certainly at the junior level, and he's no slouch defensively either. I think he uh, he talked about trying to be a two-way defenseman yeah. uh, in his uh, media availabilities after the draft, that he does focus on the defensive side of the game. This is not a Lane Hudson-type prospect who is just going to wow you offensively, but at the end of the day be really small and and that much tougher of a, of a bet to make. Uh, but no, I mean, Nelson, I think he's a, a well-rounded defenseman, and he's not going to play like he's 5'10".
1: No, I don't think he's going to either. I think he's got a lot of really solid aspects to his game. Um This is one of those things where it's, you know, I, I look at it and I, and I think, and, and obviously this is like large expectations to put on somebody the day they're drafted. But I go, you know, is this kind of the Tory Krug effect? Mm-hmm. Like is, is that kind of somebody that we're seeing here? Right. And, um, a uh, smaller guy, offensively gifted, but you know what? Knows how to play defense, can play defense, can hit, do those things, right? Like, they are solid. They're good skaters. And I go, you know, I can, I kind of see that there. Obviously, there's talent there. There, he, there was a reason he was the first over pick, overall pick in the OHL draft. There's a reason that the Kraken picking him at 68 is well below all the prospect rankings I saw for him. I'm looking at kind of like a, a, a list here, and almost everybody had him. In the high 40s, if not the, the mid to low 30s, which puts him, you know, top half of the second round. Like, like there's a reason for that. This guy has skills. He, he's a good hockey player. And uh, I think on draft day, sometimes teams forget that at the end of the day, you're playing hockey and that you want good <laughs> hockey players uh, as they focus on things like size. So this one, to me, I could see being the biggest steal for the Kraken because it's not often that I look at a third round pick and i go and again i say i see a path to the nhl there like i really it, do yeah yeah it's it, it might not I... be fast but it's there
0: Exactly, and I think he's someone we're going to want to keep a close eye on, uh, you know, in the few years to come. And it, it's one of those great pieces to have to on an ELC, and let's say maybe you know three years or so uh, coming up and being a really effective defenseman who can win you those depth mismatches too. Mm-hmm. You know, where other teams are maybe having to bring in a low cost veteran who. Maybe isn't the best defensively, or is kind of over the hill, where you can have a young guy like Ty Nelson come in and start winning you some matchups. Uh, one of those guys that, that's just going to profile really well for how this whole group is going to age. Exactly. So I think the, the big thing
1: that's, that's going to take time, defensemen in general tend to take longer than forwards in the development process. Again, this, this could very well be one of these things where, yeah, we don't see him with the Kraken until he's like 22. And it's four years from now. And that's just kind of the nature of the NHL. It's no knock on him. Lots of great NHLers have gone that route, right? Um, 21, 22 before they make their debut, especially as defensemen. Uh, but I think it's one of those that he's just going to, you know, he's working on his defensive game. I still, I still look at it and I see things that he's going to have to learn and pick up. But that's just a matter of time, kind of thing. He's 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 definitely one of these guys that you could tell based on the interviews, uh, reading about him. He has the work ethic to put in the work to do those things. It's just going to be, you know, being now under the the watchful eyes of an NHL team that's invested in him. They're going to be guiding that development, and they're gonna they're gonna do a good job because so far the Kraken have been doing an excellent job with that. I know we only really have the one year of draft class to be looking at, but they've done a really good job at at uh, communicating with their players and, and getting them to work on stuff after working with them at development camps and stuff. So uh, really, really excited for that Ty Nelson pick. I think that one could be big for them. Uh, wasn't Wasn't done as they trade up into the third round. To have mm-hmm. a second, third round pick, the Kraken do at pick ninety one, where they select Ben McDonald.
0: And yep, Ben this, McDonald,
1: this was like the first time that I was like, okay, I, this we're we're now at the point where it's like I don't have, you know paragraphs written about these guys anymore. No, it's
0: just, okay, time to learn who this guy is. We're in that yeah. We're in that territory. Yeah,
1: uh, and that was kind of the case here. I like the fact that he's already on track to go play at Harvard one day, so you least know he's a smart kid. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I like the BCHL route. I think that that's something that doesn't get a lot of love these days, um, but I, I, I like that as kind of an alternative for guys um, that don't, you know, they want to keep college eligibility. They don't want to go the CHL route. Um, I, I think that the BCHL is, is a really good spot for them to get to play against, you know, good competition and stuff. It's, it's not like a slouch of a league. And so, um, both with this pick and their next
0: pick, they kind of go in with guys going into that. And, and I like that. Yeah, I do too. And, um, especially with, with both these two picks, they're going to the same team. Yeah, the BCHL, the West Kelowna Warriors. Uh, so that'll be nice to have a couple players, both in the system, both on the same team in the BCHL. And then uh, when it comes to Ben McDonald, though, uh, I guess he has plans to go to Harvard after the one year in the BCHL, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because I learned this today, of course. Uh, his father, Lane, won the Hobie Baker Award in 1989, playing for Harvard. Uh, so Ben will go and, and play college hockey at the same school uh, that his father did. So that's pretty cool to see, um, and you know, got good bloodlines too.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's all good stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you know, we're now also at the part of the draft where not only is it, we got to go out and like learn stuff about these guys, but it's also where it's, you know, will we see them in the NHL? Statistically speaking, probably not. You know, like that's just the unfortunate reality of of, as you get later and later into the draft, Uh, fewer and fewer of these guys are ever going to see NHL action and, and even fewer still will play significant time in the NHL. Um, That's just kind of the realities. Uh, The fact that he played, you know, high school, I just have like no comp, like he he had 29 points in 22 games. That sounds pretty good to me. 14 goals. The problem is this just, I, I don't know what that translates to like major junior wise or something like that you know what i mean like the high school players they're always like kind of shots of the dark it seems
0: like yeah but taking the college route we'll we'll find out pretty well um you know harvard you know big big uh college hockey school they're they're among the top teams they're some of the top players and it's a longer development route which which works fine when you're going with a later round pick
1: yeah exactly um and uh you know, similar situation with uh with their next pick at pick one hundred. Uh again, as we talked about, you know, West West Kelowna Warrior. However, he's gonna go ahead and make the jump to the NCAA this upcoming season. Uh so they won't actually be playing together. But uh going to make oh, the jump. Won't. okay. Yeah, going to make the jump to the University of Wisconsin and that is uh Tyson juggernaut, juggernaut,
0: juggernaut, Juggernaut Jugmouth.
1: Yeah I'm trying to Did remember Juggernaut? How- I didn't say Juggernaut, but we could call him that. Um, (laughs) Juggernauth. Yeah, I think Nouth is how they were saying it uh, on the broadcast. Okay. But uh, so interesting in the sense that this was, you know, one of only two defensemen that the Kraken took in the whole draft. I know a lot of people were kind of surprised by that. I'm okay with it. I think defensemen are a lot harder to develop. They certainly take a lot longer. I'm okay when building out a prospect pool, focusing on goaltending and forwards. And, you know, if you Mm -hmm. decide, hey, defensemen are kind of undervalued at the NHL level. If we need to, we'll just get them in free agency or via trade because it's it's cheaper to do that and we'll be getting known quantities and then you fill out with cheaper forwards to make that happen. Uh, I think that that's a totally viable strategy. Not saying that that's what the Kraken did. It could just be a case that they took best available, uh, you know, on their board and it worked out this way, but uh it'll be interesting. But this with the uh, with Tyson here, we're at least going to be able to see him at Wisconsin next season and we'll be able to get a good, you know, view of of what he's going to project at, you know, and at the like you know the probability we'll see him in the NHL one
0: day yep and I I do like that strategy of kind of focusing on forwards and goaltending um you mentioned defensemen are easier to find and, and you think the Kraken have kind of seen that already too you know signing Adam Larson to a long-term deal at four million I mean that's as a free agent you don't have to give up any assets that's good value you can find those value defensemen um you know to get a blue line together and um Yes, you need those those high-end defensemen. I think we've seen a lot of cup chance ha- champs have those guys. Mm-hmm. But let's be real, when you're picking at this stage in the draft, you're not going to find those guys. You're, you're not going to draft a, a Victor Hedman or a uh, Miro Heiskanen into the fourth round. You're just not. Right, exactly.
1: Those those guys are found in the, in the top couple picks. Um, with their next selection, they took Tucker Robinson, an overager playing in the OHL. So their first overager this year, obviously we saw Riker Evans at the top of the second round last year. Um, but again, he had a fantastic season playing in Peterborough last year, uh, six, uh, 41 goals in 68 games, 81 points, uh, three goals in four playoff games for the Pete. I like that a lot. Uh, I think this, this guy kind of screams, hey, I got screwed by COVID. Like my development track mm-hmm. was completely messed up. Nobody could see me. Uh, was not able to play. He didn't play anywhere his draft year. Like obviously, that's that sucks. That's why he you know kind of felt. I think that that's a really good pick for the Kraken here to find somebody who really you know if you're looking at this this past season as his like OHL draft year in terms of development and really being like your first season of significant playing time in the OHL. 41 goals in 68 games is impressive.
0: It is. And and especially he's a, a late June birthday. So he's not even kind of the full two years, old, a uh, year older than everyone else. Uh, so that that bodes well. And yeah, when you talk about Tucker Robertson, uh, he's one of those guys that, like you said, kind of screwed by COVID. You don't have that development year. Um, and then also you look at the um, where was I going with this? Yeah, he's five eleven one ninety. Uh, that's, that's something that other teams might shy away from earlier in the draft. It's, it's decent size. It's perfectly fine NHL size, but teams see that number, just height numbers start with a five, uh, and they look at an overager and, you know, maybe some teams will disregard that. Uh, but you look at the numbers, you know, in a draft plus one season, which should kind of come with an asterisk, you know, mm-hmm. in a positive sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and they look impressive.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like we, we, we do so much of like the focusing on the age with these guys, you know, because of, yes, it matters as far as like when they're eligible for the NHL draft and stuff, but a lot of it is under the assumption that they then have X amount of years of development. The fact that he did not have one of those years, as far as, you know, everything but physically maturing from a hockey standpoint, this was very much his draft year. So, um, I, I think guys like him kind of got the short end of the stick here and, uh, and, 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 you know, were passed over on this in this draft a, a lot longer than maybe they should have been. Uh, so I'm very, very happy that the Kraken are taking a chance on him. I I think that this could be a pick that definitely pays off, and to get it so late, uh, pick 123 overall is is very cool. And last thing on him, RJ, as I look at his page on uh, on Elite Prospects, talk about versatility in position. You ready for this? He's listed as a center, right wing, and center.
0: I could play center right wing and center. Yes. Three positions, two different positions. Uh, that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I really like that. I wish we could see that more often with all these, you know, really wingers that they call
0: themselves centers for draft purposes. We see so many draft prospects, regardless of their forward position, just listed as a center, but he's listed as a center twice. Yeah. How cool. Is that? Yeah.
1: So he's, he's, he's doubly got it. Um, all right, so uh, we'll we'll kind of quickly uh, go through these these last couple picks here. In the sixth round, they took Barrett Hall, um, a forward from the Minnesota Wilderness of the NAHL. Um, seemed to have a, an OK season there, point per game guy down there, uh, and kind of continued that into the playoffs. Going to go play at Saint Cloud State University in 2024.
0: That's that's a longer development track there for him. But when yeah. you're drafting this late, that's fine. A sixth round pick, just let him develop. I mean, he's six foot one seventy, so he's got to fill out that frame a little bit, uh, and and that's something kind of go to the weight room, work on. Um, and Barrett Hall, when I when I searched his name to go try and find him, it's like, did you mean Brett Hall? The <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe that's a good sign. It's
1: maybe that's an auspicious omen for us. Um, and then at pick one ninety six, Kyle Jackson of the North Bay Battalion. Uh, So picking Ty Nelson's teammate uh, there and um, again, kind of a similar situation to uh, Robertson where last year was supposed to be his draft year didn't exist. Uh, So this year having to having to go back at it and in 45 games had 30 goals and 62 points. So again, kind of impressive stats there.
0: Yep. impressive numbers uh jackson's a little bit older than robertson uh he's oh uh, two birthday actually yeah um so but uh still some good numbers there and you know it's a seventh round pick take the shot
1: yeah this still was his draft year last year but yeah. yes you always you always get nervous about those october birthdays because it's yes. right <laughs> after the cutoff and you're like okay these guys are like a full physical year bigger than people i remember that being a big thing at the 2013 draft between mckinnon and seth jones was there was 11 Mm -hmm. months difference between them. Seth Jones had 11 months just to be more physically mature, to develop. That's like an extra year of playing uh, youth hockey along the way to Nathan McKinnon. And a lot of people felt that that was ultimately the deciding factor for Colorado in choosing McKinnon over Seth Jones uh, first overall was just because they felt like, hey, look, he's got a whole extra year of development to do that we can kind of be in charge of and stuff with McKinnon. Whereas Seth Jones is more of a complete prospect. We, we know what he is. We like the uh, the upside of McKinnon. So there is, there is something to be said there. And that's probably why he fell further in the draft than Tucker Robinson did.
0: Yep, that would make sense.
1: All right. But overall, I think this is a really solid draft class. Kind of briefly comparing it to the other draft classes around the league, I think the Kraken are certainly in the top third. Um, I think you can make arguments just because of how things worked out at the very top with both Shane Wright and Jagger Furcus falling to them that this was a top five draft uh, amongst NHL teams this year. And uh, just the fact that we get to say that is just, it's awesome. Like, again, like we felt it last year, but to be able to do it two years in a row, I'm not used to this, RJ.
0: It's great. And Ron Francis has talked about how important it is to lay that foundation for prolonged success. We know this is the way that he wants to build a team, Mm -hmm. you know, whether he'll be able to or not is another issue. But this is what he wants to do. And they've absolutely laid the groundwork for a ton of future success here, building out the prospect pool. I know it was really frustrating from his perspective, only having seven draft picks. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of them is, you know, untouchable. So really only six prospects to even kind of work with. Um And, and now you've got a whole lot more than that. So that's going to be huge for the Kraken organization.
1: Exactly. So can't wait to watch uh, how all things develop. See them at development camp next week, RJ, which, you know, we can kind of transition into the brief bit of Kraken news now, just to kind of round out this episode. Um Why don't we go ahead and start with the development camp news?
0: That's right. So, kraken development camp coming up in uh what one two three days, three days yeah. from today it's so close uh it will be july 11th to july 14th it'll take place at the kraken community Iceplex, and the best part is that it will be open to fans to both media and fans for the on ice portions of each day according to a press release that came out right before we started recording this so actually good timing on something which is really nice we did it right um, for once uh, well, I yeah, we wait till wait till the huge trade that Ron Francis yes. pulls off 15 minutes after we're done recording. Uh, we'll we'll have to wait for that one. But um, yeah, so it's four days, uh, July 11th through the 14th. Um, I think yeah, it looks like the admission times are half an hour before uh, the the on ice session starts. Uh, I posted the schedule. I'm sure the team will post the schedule, uh, but I also tweeted it at uh, at Emerald City HKY on our Twitter. Uh, so go check that out um but yeah it's gonna be great uh development camp there's gonna be they said i think 20 to 25 prospects there uh and the camp roster is expected in the next day or so as travel is finalized for the prospects uh so you know keep your keep your ears out for that one we're gonna uh, get a, a full camp roster we'll see who's gonna be there who's not gonna be there but it's gonna be so exciting
1: yeah. I cannot wait to be up there for it. Like that's, I'm so excited yep. to be able to see all these guys in person and, and get a good view of them all. And we'll see, you know, who from this year is able to make the, the trek over.
0: And it has been confirmed. Shane Wright will be there. Yeah. So that's going to be huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It'll be our first chance to kind of talk with him and, and stuff. And, you know, we'll we'll see where he's at as far as, you know, the feelings of, <laughs> of falling to four and stuff uh, being a couple days removed from the draft.
0: It'll be very interesting to see, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, but that wasn't the only news from this past week or so, RJ.
0: Right, the Kraken named a new goalie coach, and that's a position that, that had gone empty since Andrew Allen was, was let go at the end of the regular season, Goal tending, of course, an area that very much needed improvement mm-hmm. for the Kraken, simply was not good enough uh, last season. And the man who will be tasked with fixing that is Steve Breer. And he was the goalie coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs for the last seven years. Uh, he worked with uh, largely Frederick Anderson and uh, and um, uh, Jack Campbell. I also want to say Brian Campbell, Jack Campbell uh, in the Leafs net. Um, and I, I know Whenever you bring in someone from the Leafs, there are going to be, I guess, mixed reviews about uh, how good of a signing it is, and and you hear a lot from Toronto fans. But I I think you look at the overall goaltending that the Leafs have gotten, it hasn't been that bad, and people especially point at the playoffs. They had a 9-16 save percentage in the playoffs over the last five, you know, for the time that Breer was there, which I'll take that any day. If you if you have a good enough team around it, that's fine. That's all you need. Um, and, and I do like, I, I read up on kind of Briere's process and, um, he's, he's a very good, you know, entrepreneur. He, he's good at making, I guess, you know, business plans almost for kind of coaching up these goalies, developing them, creating a plan for them. It's all very well thought out. I kind of like his style, um, from what I've, what I've seen, what I've read of it. Uh, so I think it's a pretty good hire and you're, you're bringing in someone too, who is a former NHL goalie coach. They have years of experience in that mm-hmm. position. You're not bringing in someone who's untested. He's got experience there. So I'm okay with the hire. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally on board with it. I think the work he's done with, with those guys has been fantastic. Um, yeah, I I'm, I'm really excited for this really just to see how everybody bounces back. I, I, you know, felt like obviously groove hour is going to bounce back anyway. Uh, I just had a difficult, you know, time seeing him play this to the same, you know, kind of level he played at last year. Uh, So I've just been kind of patiently waiting all off season kind of for this news, but really just to get back at it and see how Grubauer does. I'm just really interested in that. And then, you know, we'll see what the Kraken decide to do with that backup spot while Drieger's out.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and I think Grubauer bouncing back, certainly with Drieger out, that's, Mm -hmm. I, I would argue the most important, uh, Peace for the Kraken yeah. going into next season as far as their success. So very important news there.
1: I agree. But that was not all, especially when it comes to coaching hires.
0: Exactly. We have another coaching hire to talk about. Uh, the Coachella Valley Firebirds named Jessica Campbell uh, as the first ever assistant coach in franchise history. So Dan Bilesma was named head coach of the Firebirds recently, and he's already gotten started filling out his coaching staff. And this is a notable hire because... Campbell is the first female assistant coach in AHL history, which is really cool to see. And it kind of kicked off uh, this run of, of hiring women in, in big positions in hockey here or promoting them. It feels like every day now since then we've gotten some big news uh, in that regard, and that's just been awesome. Um, but I, I like this hire. She's done really impressive work in mm-hmm. coaching with Team Germany. She's also already had a lot of experience working with NHL players mm-hmm. uh, over the summer, working with them individually. She's a very good skills development coach, and, and you could tell it's something that she takes pride in uh, with her work there. And, and I thought it was an interesting story, too, how Bilesma kind of reached out to her. He, he said that everything he was looking for in a coach just kind of led to Jessica, and um, that, that he actually reached out to her through this email address that he found on her skating school website. And so he just kind of sent her this blind email because he was interested in in bringing her in and interviewing her. And um, yeah, she got the email and she said her first reaction was, is this spam? What is this? You know, which makes sense. You you have an AHL head coach just kind of blindly reaching out to you, Uh, but it worked out well. Uh, She interviewed, it went well and and I'm uh, it's good that she's in the organization. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, no, I could t- I would totally have the same reaction. I'd be like, is this one of is this just like a really bad attempt at one of those like, you know, hey, it's Robert Downey Jr. We need money to help finish Avengers. You know what I mean? <laughs> Can you send me 1400 bucks or whatever? Uh, Tom Holland's Target here your too. Cards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Tom Holland's here too. And it's, hi, this is Tom Holland. You know, the like second message would be like, is somebody really trying to do that with Dan Biles? Um, but yeah, no, it, everything that she talked about, everything that Dan talked about in, in relation to her hiring was just kind of spot on uh, for what, you know, the the Kraken as a, as an organization wants, especially out of that AHL team. So I I think she's going to fit in really well. I think the work she's going to do with the players uh, in Coachella Valley is going to be absolutely fantastic. And, and just kind of the culture that she talked about always wanting to instill with the players and stuff um, Mm -hmm. about really being about learning from, you know, mistakes and learning. And, and I mean, just that learning right i think sometimes some ahl teams they focus a little too much on like winning and less about development which you know it works some some financial situations call for that for some teams around the league and stuff but i really want this to be part of the development pipeline for the kraken and i want that to kind of be the focus and her hiring is very much in line with that and so i'm i'm very very excited to see what she can do with um you know these players that we saw drafted here, the players we saw drafted last year, as they make their way through uh, playing in the, for the Firebirds and, uh, you know, with the European uh, signings that we've kind of talked about sprinkled throughout this, you know, the early parts of this off season too. Uh, any of them that make the jump across the pond, uh, it's going to be fun.
0: It is. And we've talked about how there's so much room for improvement in, in kind of the culture of, of hockey. Mm-hmm. And I loved what she had to say about making... The practice rink an environment where it's okay to fail it's good to yes. fail because that's how you learn uh, yeah. that's that's how you improve as a player and making sure players know that you're there to help them and and not to be against them uh, and, and that you're there to help them succeed and it's okay to make mistakes uh, mm-hmm. and especially for a younger generation of players that she's going to be working with i think that's going to be huge
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And so, uh, I'm, I'm really excited by this. I, like I said, I just think the the whole culture she's going to uh, instill, it's, it's going to be super, super awesome. And yeah, as you were talking about the female hires that we've seen kind of around the league, um, these last, you know, couple of years, really with a lot of them this year, I can't help but think if this is, you know, just kind of finally the culmination of really the, the kind of boom and investment, um, that people made in women's hockey in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, and here we're, we're kind of seeing the the fruits of that as, um, these women have, you know, grown up in a culture of there being women's hockey, you being able to watch women's hockey at the Olympics, you being able to watch, uh, you know, professional semi-pro leagues now for, for several years now and having opportunities for them. And then having those opportunities spread into, you know, the, the men's world, so to speak kind of thing. And, um, we're we're seeing them, you know, work their way up to the point where they're assistant coaches now uh at very, very high levels of hockey and they're assistant general managers and all that stuff. They're scouts and it's it's just mm-hmm. so so awesome. And uh I you know, I gotta think that all those people that really were that first generation that made that push back in the nineties, like they gotta be
0: really, really happy with how it's all turning out. Absolutely. Uh it's just great to see and, and... Its it just a momentum that keeps building too mm-hmm. and I'm sure it will continue to build.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: but that's gonna do it for the Kraken
1: news segment. Uh, so we can kind of end this very long podcast. Uh, but thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Uh, this is why we decided to kind of split up the two topics
0: because <laughs> we could probably <laughs> yeah. go. All right, free agency preview starts now. Let's go. Let's go.
1: Uh, how about this? I will I will leave everybody with one name and this is this is the name that I think is going to be key to the Krakens off season if i had anything any say about it this is the this is the 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 like pivotal person that the Kraken need to, to get to make it all work as i look at my armchair gm page here on cap friendly all right and this is this is what we're going to end the podcast on colin miller and i will explain everything when we record our free agency preview uh, in a couple days But Colin Miller is is the key to everything. Just trust me. What a cliffhanger. Just trust me. Uh, And with that, we'll see you all for that podcast in a couple days. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.